Okay, good morning. How are we doing? Are we on board? If you weren't here last week, you can go online. If you're struggling to go online, come and speak to us and we see if we can get your message somehow. But um, yeah, last week was to do with vision um, and the focus for this year. I said before, our vision hasn't changed. We're here to see a people that love, grow and serve. And um, last week, I looked at the focus for this year, which is endeavor to be a greater church. And uh, that means you individually. So individually this year, you can endeavor to have a greater year. Does anybody want to get better this year? Does anybody want a greater marriage, greater relationships, greater parent, parenting, greater business in something this year you can get better and greater at? I'm believing that for you this year. So we've got to get better at things. So, and I really believe it, it, it'll happen when we choose to understand we are empowered by God on this earth to go on a journey of discovering why we are here, what our purpose is, and out of a relationship with God. And it, I believe it will work when you, if you do this, by giving God your best. Now, I know we kind of, in some ways, we don't see God, and really God doesn't need to have our best because he's already got everything anyway. But it really, it's about our hearts, because what God's done in our heart, we respond out of that by giving our best. So this year's not about you giving to God. It's really about you giving, God's given to you, and you giving what you've been given away to this world. So people can see in and through you about a God who is in this world and is working through his body, which is you. Your heart and your mind and everything you think, God wants to work in and through you, his plans and his purposes. So this morning, I'm going to speak about, I've called it, Give God Your Best. And I'm just going to do the four words, give, God, and your, and best. Pretty simple to remember. So the first thing I want to look at is give. Why is it important for us to give? Well, I believe it's good for us to give. The Bible teaches us it is good to give. Why? Because it goes against our natural or the sinful side of us, which just looks after self. So God knows that for us to be healthy and for us to prosper and us to become great in the kingdom of God, he understands this principle, that we have to be givers. We have to become followers of Christ who gave everything. And if you're on board with becoming a disciple, if you're on this journey of following Jesus, then he's going to always demand of you to be like him, to be his son, to be God's son, to grow in his very nature, is to become a giver or to become generous. And he knows it's the best thing for you, and he wants the best for you to stay healthy in this world. We're going to read a scripture from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 26, 1 to 2. And the context of this is God has miraculously rescued his people from Egypt's slavery and they've come out and he knows he's going to take them to a land that's prosperous. He's going to take them into greatness. He's going to take them into a land flowing with monk, milk, milk, milk. There's milks there as well if you want them. Milk and honey. Now, in your world, that might be a job that you prosper in. It might be a career. It might be a marriage. It might be something where you're going to benefit and become rich. But he also knows that when they get there, they may forget where their source of richness, richness has come from. Because they'll be so engrossed in the richness that they'll no longer need to rely on God, who is the source of all things. So he gives them this wisdom 
to help them to stay healthy, not just individually, but as a community of people so that they will remain healthy. They'll remain great. They'll be a light to other nations and God will be glorified. So he says this, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you, who's the giver? God. The land your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it. Take some of the first fruits of all that the, the produce, produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. So the deal here was what he's telling them to do is when they become prosperous, when you do well, what you need to do is the first fruit. So when you grow the crop in this prosperous land, go and get the first part of the crop and bring it to God's people, God's leaders, and put it in the basket so that the people of God, the leaders, can be looked after, which we call the Levites. They could make sure that their job, they were being paid, and they'd have food to live while they did God's uh, responsibility uh, in terms of ministering to people. They would get the, 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 the food. Then the other people that could not work. So let's say somebody was injured or disabled and they were unable, or a widow who could not prosper and could not produce uh, uh, fruit, they needed help. So as the body worked together, what would happen is, God is saying, I want you not to just to focus and forget about, forget about me and forget about other people. I want you to put this principle in place. This is the best way to live. Bring some product, bring it, and bring your best, not your second best, Not just what's left over for those other people, but bring your best to me and let's demonstrate my love for people. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. Can you see the principle? So God understood that this was the best way to live. He understood the selfishness of people and how they would forget and distract from caring for one another. So it is important that as a people, we become a giving people. If we believe in a God who's a giver who not only gave the Israelites all of the land, but he's gave his one and only son. He's given us forgiveness of sin, and he's given us eternal life. He's given us such riches in him, which is our inheritance for those who are in Christ, for those who choose to believe in Jesus, choose to believe in his promises, and remain in those. We have that inheritance in Christ Jesus. Our job now is not to forget where that riches have come from, but our job now is to become givers of that inheritance as well. Not second best, but first. So I don't know what you're like. Maybe you just live for yourself and then, you know, maybe you'll remember about other people. I know I'm like that most of the time, but we're called to consider other people. We're called to consider the lost. We're called to consider a widow, somebody who's in poverty. We're called to look outside of ourselves and to look for them, not just ourselves. And God did this as a reminder because he knew they would forget where all of the riches have come from. So it's good for us to give. Would you agree? It might go against our natural instinct, which is self-preservation, which is not a bad thing. We need to make sure we're looked after and we're healthy and we're prospering, but we also need to consider other people and that's healthy for us. That's best for us. God knows what's best for us as a people and that's the better way to live. So give. Secondly, God. 
Now, when those people brought that offering, they brought their first. When we do an offering at the end, we're going to do an offering after I preach. We're going to do an offering and believe for your best year yet. I'm believing for your best year. Does anybody else? Or do you want your second best year? Or do you want your best year? Well, your best year is going to come when you have an attitude to give, an attitude to invest in you, an attitude to give your best this year. That's how it's going to come. That's how you'll break cycles. That's how you'll prosper by doing your best. It's about attitude, attitude in our heart and attitude of our mind to say, no, I'm going to do my best this year. Or you can just settle for second best. I'll just make do. I'll just survive this year. Or do you want a year where you overcome? You see, when we do this offering at the end, I want to challenge you to think, when you bring the offering, how do you see God in this offering? Do you see God taking your money? Do you see pastor taking? Am I taking your money? Or do you see God as a giver? Because if you see me taking your money, your theology or what you think is coming out of how you see God. Because if you see God as a giver who's given you such riches, then you'll see yourself full of riches that you can give. If you see God who's taking my riches, then your theology needs to change. If you're to become a son of God, a disciple, to grow into maturity, that's what God's looking for. For us to be followers of Jesus, he's looking for his people to be generous. He's looking for his people to give, to give out of themselves, to sacrifice, to go the extra mile, to show loving kindness, to not take offense, to forgive like he forgave. That's what he's looking at. That's why we're reading the Lord's Prayer daily. Forgive those who debt against you. Forgive those who trespass against you, whichever version you read. But you know, that's what God's looking for. So when you take an offering, I want to challenge you, encourage you. How do you see God? Are you seeing him taking from you? Because he's not taking, he's given. He's poured out his one and only son. He's poured out all these riches, everything he has for you. See, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is the Lord's. The world and all its people belong to him. So everything in this world was created by God, everything. There's nothing in the world that doesn't belong to God, and he gave it to man to enjoy. Even you belong to God. Your neighbor belongs to God. Your job belongs to God. Your finance belongs to God. It's, there's nothing in this world that God did not create. Would you agree with me? So who's the giver? God. We just have a responsibility with what we do, with what we've been given. Are we going to hold on to it? Or are we going to be people of expanse who go out into unknown waters and begin to discover this better way of living that God's given us? Wow, God's given me, so I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to have a greater year than I've ever had. Does anybody want that? See, how do you see God? And you see God as a generous God who's given you all things, that he's shared his world with, that he shared his one and only son with you. He's given you his forgiveness. He's given you his love. He's given you his grace. How do you see God this morning? And I want to encourage you to see God as a giver and become like God. Not God, because you're never going to be God. I'm never going to be God. But become like his nature. Put on God. Put on kindness. Put on generosity. Does it challenge us? Yes. But if you see God as a giver 
and allow how you see God to change your heart and become like God as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, you become a giver. Making sense? See, how you see God determines how you give. Give God. You still with me? We're going to get to the best bit now. This is the best bit. Are you ready? And I've changed it around just to confuse you. Give God best. Are you still with me? You're not lost. You got that? Give God best. Let's read Luke 15. 11 to 24, it says this. Jesus continued. This is a parable, a story that he wants to explain something of the kingdom of God. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach. Anybody's stomach want filling this morning? Anybody want a filling this morning? I know I do. To fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. I'm not sure you want those. But no one gave him anything. Talk about generosity and giving. Nobody gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he saw his father... His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now in the story, it goes on to another son, which is other issues that people have and we all have. But you know, I don't want to look at that one. I want to focus on this one. Because I believe God wants us to focus on this to remember so that we can live our best life. You see, I find it interesting that in this story, nobody gave him anything. When, he was, when he'd lost everything, when he'd gone out of father's house, when he'd gone out of, his, of God's, in this image, God's image and God's presence, he'd left father's house and gone out into the world. We've all done that. We're all lost as people. The Bible says we've all gone away from God and we've all, we're all sinners and we've all lived a life and discovered that we don't get the fill. We don't get filled and we're all looking for something. Anybody else been that place? I know I did for quite a few years, looking and looking and looking, and it never filled me. 
I kept thinking, why isn't this satisfying me? Why didn't the drugs do it? Why didn't the alcohol? Why didn't the relationships time and time again do it? Why? Because nobody gave me anything. Can you hear what I'm saying? The world doesn't give us anything that fills us. It leaves us there. Why am I suffering? Why am I in pain? Why did that happen to me? I don't know. Why isn't it satisfying me? Why is it still there? Why isn't it giving me anything? And God doesn't give you anything in that place because he knows it's not the best for you. He wants you to come to him so he can fill you with something far more richer than what you'll find in the world. And we look for it. We worship it. And it doesn't fill us. We worship people. We worship money, jobs, and we think it's the be-all and end-all, and it falls down before us and doesn't fill us. They're not bad things. They're good things to have. Riches are great things to have, but if they're number one in our lives, if they're first, then we will fall down and be disappointed because they don't fill us. But God wants us to be filled with him. He does. We can't do that. I find it interesting in this story because it's almost like he goes on a process of restoration. You know, and, and most of us, we don't want to change. We want to stay the same. We want comfort. But it's almost like the father says, you, you can have all the riches. Off you go. Do whatever you want. I'm not going to control you. I'm going to give you the freedom to live it however you want. And he allows him to go. And he almost has to get to this point before he changes. Get to that point of pain and suffering until we realize I need God and cry out to God and come to the Father. And a lot of people don't change until they get to that point. The other place I read this week where people don't change or do change, sorry, is when they learn the lesson. We all know a lesson, don't we? You may have lessons at school, but we're all learning a lesson, aren't we? We're all learning lessons in our job, employment, how we relate to people. We're all learning a lesson, and we only change when we learn the lesson. Now, he must have learned a lesson. He must have learned a lesson. He was either in pain and suffering and fed up and hurt and thought, I've had enough, I'm going to change. And in other words, I'm going to turn back to God, and I'm going to choose to follow God rather than just live for myself. Or he went, this isn't working. How stupid am I? How many of us have done that? You're thinking, that isn't working. I need to change. I need to learn the lesson. What's the lesson we're learning? And all of a sudden we turn and we go, I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I need to learn a lesson. And we change because that's the way we want to walk. Or the other way is this. We receive something and it changes us. You see, the father, when he got back to the house, didn't criticize him. He didn't moan and complain. He didn't judge him. He didn't say, just stop at the door, son. Clean yourself off first, and then you can come in. He didn't. He saw him in at the distance because he's waiting for him and longing for him like God does for us. And he's looking for his son and his daughter, whoever's out there, and saying, I'm looking for you to come to me. I'm looking for you to learn the lesson. I'm looking for you to call out to me when you're pain. I'm not asking you to sort it all out. I'm just looking for you to respond to me. I'm looking and looking and looking and looking and got my eye on you and saying, come to me. And in our pain, in our suffering or learning the lesson, God's saying, come to me. Come close to me. Draw near to me. Draw near to me daily. You don't have to run, run from me, but come to me. And he runs to him and he embraces him, and he kisses him. In other words, he becomes intimate and real with him. 
And God wants to be intimate and real with us. He doesn't want to be distance. He wants us to be real. How do we do that? Become real with him and open with our failures, our faults, and we come to him as we are. But this is the great thing about what God does. He doesn't say, have you learned the lesson? He doesn't point a finger at his smile and his marks and his faults. He says, quick, go and get the best robe. Go and get it. He doesn't hesitate because he knows how his son feels. He knows what his son's been through. He knows the pain and the suffering that he's caused and the disgrace and the shame and everything that's caused from his son. And he doesn't want that to affect his future. So he says, go and get the best robe so I can dress him, not according to his past, but I can dress him according to his future. And that's why God wants the best for you. He wants to dress you according to your future, not according to your past. And you know what? You may have some marks. You may have some pain. You may still be learning some lessons. But guess what? He says, come to me anyway, and I'll equip you, and I'll empower you, and I'll undress you for your future. I'm not going to dress you with seconds. I'm going to dress you with the best. I'm not going to dress you with maybes and ifs and what ifs. and No, no, no. Certainly going to dress you with the best. You see, in Deuteronomy 26, what did he do? He says, go and get the first fruits and give it to those. Dress the poor, the alien, the minister with the best. Not second best, not what's left over in your heart and maybes. Go and get the best for my people. Model the best. Model that my heart is the best for people. Do you see what I'm saying? In this story, what he says is, go get that robe, baby. Go get it. You see, most of us, only change when we receive something. And God wants us to receive his love. He wants to receive his mercy, his kindness, his acceptance that he gave through his son. My dad used to work in, um, he's still with me. Do you believe God wants the best for you? And you can give your best this year. You see, if you don't see yourself as best, if you don't see God as giving you his best, you won't live best. So we have to first receive his best. You hear my heart? If you haven't received the best, you've got to receive the best and put it on and walk in it and dress in it and enjoy it and rejoice in it and give thanks for it and shake off the past. My dad used to work for Royal Dalton. He was a time and motion engineer. Sounds interesting. But if you've worked in the pot bank, a pot bank is a factory where you make pottery, okay? Pot bank, okay? My dad used to work on a pot bank, and on, his job was to walk along, and it was to time people, okay, on what you call piecework. So we'd stand over somebody painting, and depending on how many plates they did within the time, they would get paid for how quick they were. So my dad was not a liked person. Because he would stand and say, you've done four in the last hour, we'll pay you for four. So they were always pressurized, and my dad would time them and go around and check them. He he wasn't liked, right? He got a bit of a jip and a bit of abuse. But what I loved about my dad's job was this. Every now and again, working on Dalton's, you got a little bit of a favorite, kind of bit of favor. You got, right, Dalton figures that were seconds. And, And my dad had come home every, say, few months, and he'd bring a Dalton figurine. It's when they were in fashion. They're not as in fashion today. People don't break in houses and pinch them anymore. You can't sell them. 
If you lived in Stoke-on-Trent for a few years, people broke in houses for them and sold them, right? They were worth hundreds of pounds. They don't do it anymore. They're worth like five pounds. But my dad used to bring them home, and they were seconds. But what used to happen is he'd bring them home, and he'd say to me, this is a seconds. He'd have it for like three pounds, 150 pounds, 200 pounds figure, and he'd have it for three pounds because it was a seconds. And there'd be a mark. They'd scratch the name Dalton off the bottom, and I'd sit there for ages trying to work out why it was a seconds. And I'd look and think, where is the mark? Hasn't it been painted properly? And I couldn't find the fault on the figure. And my dad would pick it up and he'd go, see that, how it's been painted there? That's not how you paint it. And I, I couldn't see it at all. But my dad could see the faults. He could see the marks. And he could see them because he was paid to do it. Listen, we're not here to look at our faults and our seconds on our body. God doesn't want us to do that. My dad used to look at the faults and pick and say, that's not good enough, because he thought that's what perfect was. That's what they were paid to do. God doesn't do that. He looks at our seconds and says, look, I can see your seconds, but what I've done, I've corrected your seconds with my best. And how I've done this is, the marks and the mistakes that are on the seconds, I put them on my son on the cross. The whips, the beatings, the punishment, the shame, the guilt is on the cross. And my son has paid for them. I gave my best for those marks in your life. So stop looking at the marks. Work them through, learn the lesson, but stop looking at the marks and picking fault at yourself. Stop picking fault at other people. We all do it, but let's get our eyes on Jesus and look what Jesus did on the cross. It's time to put your best on and dress for your future. Your past is gone. We cannot change it, but put on the Father's robe and dress for your future. That's good stuff, isn't it? And if you're looking at your marks you're looking at your faults and it's time to allow yourself to go through that furnace and allow that God of yours to refine you and to renew you and to be glorified how he restores broken people allow him to trust him to go through the process of brokenness and renewal and restore and you'll only do that if you allow yourself to receive the best Receive from the best, the best teacher, the best father, the best who loves you with all that he has. As you do that daily, you endeavor to become greater, look away from your past, and begin to look for your future. You see, your future is heaven, so dress as though you're in heaven. Don't dress as though you're in this world, longing for this world to satisfy you, because it won't give you anything, baby. I like that, give you anything, baby. Will it? But we do it, don't we? Instead of coming to the Father who gave his robe. What's the robe a symbol of? The righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I'm made right with God through Christ Jesus. Not in my own strength. I've made some boo-boos and I still make boo-boos. But guess what? God makes me right with him. It's a good job. It's God that does it and not me. So stop trying to do it. It's a good job. It's by God's grace that he gives it me. His mercy that he gives it me. His kindness that he gives it to me. And it changes us when we surrender to him and realize we can't do it 
and the other things we do don't satisfy us. But when we come by grace that none of us deserve and we receive by his spirit, it changes my heart and it renews me from the inside out. It causes me now that I can put on the best. There's something in me that says I can overcome. There's something in me that's changed and I'm not going to pull up with the past anymore, but I'm going to change the way I go and I'm going to walk in the fruits of repentance, baby. Some of you are getting it. But if you don't see God as a giver who's giving you his best, you'll never walk in the best. You'll keep walking in the past. You'll keep walking in self-righteousness. You'll keep looking for perfection. You know, and we all need to get better and become greater. But only God perfects you and makes you right. It's good, isn't it? Give God your best. And we're going on to your. So give God best your. Are you with me? You say, well, what have I got to give? feel like sitting down here. Have a bit of story time with Paul. Come on, gather around. Okay, so give God your best. You say, well, what have I got to give? We've all got something to give. It's not just money. And please bear with me on this. Please don't take offense at this, right? If, if, you, if you're a more experienced person, please don't take offense at this. Okay, I'm going to look at two generations. The older generation, thanks to you, She's just put herself in the older generation. And the new generation. So I, I don't know where that lies, right? But let's just say, just to, so it's not an age thing, let's just say you overhear the older generation. Let's just say you overhear the younger generation. Okay, right. So I heard this somewhere else, so this isn't something, but I thought this is great. Okay, this is great. The older generation, you come with experience. Yeah, baby. So let's just say, if it was an age, let's say I'm over 40. Let's just say it's over 40. Okay? It might be old now. So if you're over 40, you've got some experience. Okay? So experience, you also come with resource. You've got resource, baby. You've got wealth of experience, of knowledge. You know how to do things. You maybe have a good job. You know, lots of resource that you can bring to the house of God. You've also got, you're just so wise. You've got some gray hairs, sign of wisdom. We've got other color hair over here. That's a sign of creativity, you know. You've got no hair, that's just hard work. You know, the, the, you know you're also, you're settled. You're settled. You're secure in yourself. You know who you are. You understand why you're here. You've grasped something at a depth where, you know, people can build on you and you can take responsibility in life. So the other thing that you are, because you've made mistakes and you've made your boo-boos, you also understand that God forgives you, therefore you forgive others. Get it? So you kinda, you've got resource and experience and wisdom and you're settled. And, you know, and then the new generation come through and they've got these things. You just love the new generation. They've got energy, baby. Woohoo! You've got, I know the older ones have got energy as well, but they've got a new energy. We've got some new people in this house. We've got a younger generation. You've got some energy. You might struggle to express it, but you know it's bursting out, okay? Then you've also got new ideas. Well, I don't want to do it how they do it. 
I wouldn't do that. All them older people don't want to do that music. You've got new ideas, right? New ideas, fresh. That doesn't mean just going, even though that's out now. I'm looking old now, right? You've got new ideas, fresh. You also, and this is what I like, you're more willing to take risks. You're not adding as many knockbacks. So you're not as, you know, cautious. I was another one over here. Cautious. You're a bit more cautious. Mm, we'll see. I'm watching. Yeah? So let them make the mistakes. Well, you're just like, at it, will he make mistakes? Doesn't matter. We're having a go. And then you've got, you're also, you're a little bit naive or idealistic. Everybody's going to be fine. The world's going to be a wonderful place. Church is going to be brilliant. Listen, church full of mess. No, it's not. We're going to be they're a little bit idealistic in their worldview. Am I making sense? Which is a good thing. All right? We want that. We don't want to just be cynical like, you know, as we can do if we're not careful as we get older. And then they're also restless and driven. I know some of the older people saying, I'm, I'm a bit restless and I'm driven. Yeah, that's okay. But that's the young one. And they also make youthful mistakes. Yeah? They make mistakes. When we have as a church this in the church, it's a good day. If we've got this in the church, resource experience, we've got older generation in the church, it's a good church. When we've got new people in the church, it's a good church. We are blessed to have older people in this church and younger people in this church. Are you with me? We need one another. That's a good day. But when we combine the two and we endeavor to combine the two, we get a great church because we get experience for energy. We have cautiousness for the new ideas. Sorry, we have resource for the new ideas. We're cautious with the willing to take risk. We have the wise for the idealistic. We have settled for the restless and we have mercy for the ones that make mistakes. Can you see what I'm saying? You say, well, what have I got to give? You've got stuff to give. You've got stuff to give. You've got your best to give into this church. And if you don't see yourself of having resources, God's not giving you. God has given you as a gift to this world. He's called you to be light and salt into this world. He's called you to receive his gift of his son, first and foremost, so he can make you right with him, give you his peace and his love and his joy. And if that's not happened in you, I would say, do you know what? I'm empty. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to receive something to God. You see, what have you got to give? You've got yourself to give. You see, I heard this recently. The kingdom of God, the boundaries are nothing to do with geography. You know, we're endeavoring to be a great church. We're, it's not about where we go. It's not about boundaries. It's about attitude. The kingdom of God and expansion and becoming greater is about our attitude. It's about what we're willing to do how we're willing to respond to the call of God on our lives. Do we want to become a greater church or do we just want to settle here 
And we need people that will help us settle. But we also need this. This is coming through. This is why I'm looking to invest in this generation to bring their ideas through. This is why I want to put some stuff on for these to get their ideas so they can bring them through. And as a church, we stay relevant and up to date so they can connect with their generation coming through. Or we can settle with how great thou art every week, even though we don't sing it. We can settle with the same song every week, week in, week out, so that generation love their time in church. What do you want to do? If you want to get on board, then we've got to embrace this coming through, but you've got to not forget what resources you've got to go into it. If you say, I'm going to hold back with my resource, then how are we going to facilitate the new ideas and what they bring through? How are we going to invest in the vision of what we're doing if you hold back your re- It's not going to happen. What about your wisdom that you need? And they're telling you, I don't get you. It doesn't matter. Get on that team and put your wisdom into it. Listen to them, support them, love them. Mentor them. Just put some wisdom around them. Settle. Make them feel safe in church. Turning up week in, week out. So people have something to build with and on as a church. Or you can just go, well, I don't matter anymore. My time's gone. You're never gone until you're gone. You're never gone until you're gone. Look at that. How rich is that? How rich is that? How concerning is that? Imagine the church just full of that. It would be fun. Probably a Corinthians church in New Testament. But here, we need the two. And if we combine the two, if you're willing to put yourself in on this journey, we won't just have a good church, we'll have a great church. And it's going to have to endeavor to do it. You're going to have to discipline yourself to do it. You're going to have to choose to put on your best and say, I'm not settling for the past anymore, but I'm looking to the future. This church has a future. This church has vision. It expands beyond what it is now, and we're looking to expand as a church. If you believe in what you're doing, people will hear you. Whether you tell them about Jesus or not, people will see the change in your life and think, wow, how is this person living now? It's not about just telling people about Jesus. It's about living a life that demonstrates Jesus is in you. Are you with me? And if you don't want this, it's fine. But I want this. I want to go on a journey that we get better. Not because we need to give to God. (laughs) It's because God's already given to us. I'm not doing this to be glorified but about us. I'm doing it because this church needs to expand. Because this city needs a church. This nation needs another church to grow to demonstrate that God is alive, that God is working in and through people, individually and corporately. Are you still with me? So we're going to take an offering. But before we do it, I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 7. Just a bit of teaching on how people and when they're giving. And there's three things. I'm not going to read the scripture, but just three things that I'm going to pull from it. Just to help you when you give. The first thing is for you to consider when you're giving, and this isn't just about money. We've got a table at the back as well, and you can sign up to serve. Go to the table and have a look if you want to serve. You can, sorry, no, 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 I don't want you. I don't want to collect it yet. We're going to sing a song in a minute, and then we'll do it after the song. I'm going to give people time to think about what they're going to give. You know, when you give, is it generous or is it sparing? Now, that's between, that's up to you to look in your heart and think, what is generous this year for me? It's about attitude with how we outwork our life and our faith this year, okay? So is it generous or am I living sparing? Or do I believe in the riches of God 
in my heart and how I'm going to live. Obviously, be wise with that. You can't give it if you haven't got it. Is it generous? Secondly, is it freely given? So if you feel like you give out a guilt or if you feel I'm trying to manipulate you to get money, that is not our heart. It's not even about the money. It's about us growing as a church, about you growing as a person more than it is about the money. But with the money, we can do things. So not under compulsion, manipulation or guilt, but in the freedom of Christ that you can give and choose yourself. It's your choice. So generous, freely given. And the last one is this, cheerfully given. Don't give it if you're feeling like, oh, I've got to give. That's not who God is. God's poured out his son for you and me freely so that we can live free. Do it because you love God and you can give today cheerfully, freely, and generously. Does that help? Does that free some people up maybe? But we are going to be generous. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give into it. You know, if you don't give into this church regularly, can I also challenge you to believe for your best year? Can I challenge you to say, this year is the year to tithe into this house? Not your second best, not just a little bit, but the first of what God has given you. It demonstrates your heart and your attitude on how to live. And if you're a believer, I would say, come on, why are you settling for seconds when you can settle for first, when you can walk your best life yet? So if you're not a tither, can I encourage you, if you're an earner, tithe 10% of what you earn. Give your first and say, I'm committing to it this year so that I believe in this church, where it's going, that we're going to be a greater church. So, we're going to sing a song and you know, you can worship God in this song, but have a think and get ready what we're going to give in the offering. Then after the song, I'm going to get up and explain how you can give um, and then we'll take the offering. Is that okay? Are you dressing for your future? Are you going to have a year where you give God your best? If you've not received God's best, I can pray with you after and believe that by His Spirit, He can fill you and empower you. It's not me. God can do it and give you His best by His Spirit. It's really important that we learn to receive from God and don't think we've got it all together. It all comes from Him.